it's time for another episode of Customers Who Click. Before I get into this episode, I'd love to know just one thing. When do you listen to the podcast, or any podcast really, but obviously I'm particularly interested in this one. What, what are you doing when you listen to this podcast? Kind of what time of the day it is? Are you, are you doing anything else at the same time? Just tweet me at Will Lawrenson. Uh, I'd just love to know, you know what's, what's going on when, when people like listening to podcasts. This week, we're going to be digging into PPC, how it's changed over the years, the mistake brands make, um, but also the profit curve. My guest this week is Mike Rhodes, the founder and CEO of Web Savvy, a Melbourne-based agency who specialises in all things Google Ads. I'm particularly interested in this idea of the profit curve, though, so I really recommend you pay attention when that comes up. It's absolute gold. Let's get Mike on now, though, so we can get to it. Hi, Mike. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining me today. Um, do you want to give us a bit of your background, your history, uh, how you've got to where you are and, and why you're doing what you do? Yeah, sure. Well, um, I actually grew up in the UK. Uh, I left a while ago now, 20 odd years ago, um, and came to Australia. I don't know. Always felt more at home here, I guess. I actually wanted to be a helicopter pilot originally, um, if we're going that far back. Uh, which I actually went and did. Uh, so from six years old, I wanted to fly. I flew planes before I drove cars. And then when I was 20, I was, I was in Hawaii for the summer, which is another random tangent of a story, which we won't go there. But I ended up basically watching all these helicopter comp- helicopters flying around and thought, yeah, why not now? Um, got the yellow pages out. That's how old I am. And called yeah. every helicopter company in Honolulu. Uh, got myself an interview the next day. And started the day after that, I basically said, look, there's these things called computers, they're going to be really important. I'll computerize your business, I'll computerize your office, I'll help you sort of understand this new world. You don't need to pay me, just teach me to fly. And so I learned to fly, flying around the canyons of uh, Kuwait. And so I was flying around the canyons. And then I came back to the UK and ended up working for a helicopter company in the UK run by Lord Hanson. Yeah, mates with the Queen. We had Princess Di as a client. Um, gosh, Schumacher, Bill Gates, uh, Boy's Own. That was a highlight, I must say. Uh, yeah. uh, and, and I realized in chatting to the pilots that every single one of them couldn't wait to retire. You know, they'd come out of military, they had five, 10,000 hours under their belt, and they couldn't wait to retire. And I thought, this, this isn't what I want to do for the rest of my life. I don't want to be a, a posh taxi driver. And that's how they referred to themselves as drivers. And I'd always been fascinated by business. So when I did end up leaving the UK, um, left that firm, ended up in New Zealand, went for three weeks, stayed for three years, like a lot of people do in New Zealand, and started my first business there, uh, built that up and sold it, moved to Sydney, and then just got into helping businesses. So I was an e-myth consultant. If anybody knows the e-myth by Michael Gerber, I ended up flying to the States at two days notice to go train with him and his team. That book was what made my first business the success that it was. I only worked in there a dozen times in a year and a half because I'd read this book and it was all about systemizing your business, working on it, not in it. Mm-hmm. And I was loving doing that, trying to systemize other businesses, becoming an e-myth consultant. And then I saw this guy, Perry Marshall, speak and about Google Ads. It was 2004. And all these businesses I'd been talking to, they all had the same problem. It was all, mate, I just need a few more customers. I just need a few more patients in the clinic, a few more covers in the restaurant. I just need a little bit more and everything will be fine. And then here's this guy explaining this system whereby you only show ads to people that are searching for exactly what you have to sell. And you only pay if someone is interested enough to click on that ad 
and visit your website. You know, what kind of voodoo is this? This yeah. is amazing. This is what they all need. And I basically pretty much dropped Emith at that point and started the agency almost then and there. I did wander off and run someone else's business for a little bit, but I would just start trying to teach everybody I met about this amazing new tool, Google Ads. And for every 10 people I would tell, nine would say, mate, I don't really care how it bloody works. Just do it for me, could you? It sounds amazing, I agree, but just do it for me. And that's how the agency got started. So yeah. that's, that's what we do today. We run Google Ads and Facebook Ads for businesses all over the world. I've always loved helping businesses grow. And this is one of the best ways that I know how, because it's very efficient. There's very little waste yeah. when, when it's done properly. And, and it's very repeatable. They know month after month after month, I tip a dollar in, I get seven back. I tip a dollar in, I get seven back or, or four or 20 or whatever it is, but it's very repeatable. And once you've built the machine, um, you know what you're going to get back out of it. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, very jealous about the helicopter flying, especially in especially in Hawaii. Um, I've always said, yeah, I, I would love to learn to fly, and it would be a helicopter. I don't, magic carpet I don't ride. really know why why helicopter over plane. Because um, it can go sideways. It can go. Yeah, backwards. I think it can hover in place. It is a magic carpet. It is yeah. the most wonderful thing ever. You take off all of your worries and problems. Stay on the ground. And especially in a scenery like that with 50,000 shades of green. And did you realize rainbows are circular when you're flying around in the air? There is no horizon. And so we're, we're literally chasing rainbows. You'd see a, a rainbow as a circle, sometimes a double or even a triple circle. And you would chase, you never catch them, but you chase yeah. them and you fly towards them. It's, it's, oh, it's just wonderful. Uh, awesome. Uh, very jealous now. <laughs> um, cool. Well, uh, topic for today. So PPC. So Obviously, everyone will know what PPC is. Um, so I guess, do you want to maybe give us a bit of, an, of a, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? A roundup? A bit of a summary, I guess, on, on like okay. how, it's, how it's changed over the last maybe five to 10 years. Yep. Um, I guess, yeah, what, what is the difference now to back in, you know, 2004 or five when you started? Yeah, so when I started, it was very different. Um, all the clicks cost five cents. It was very, very easy back then. And continuing the flying analogy, I'll say that back then it was like flying a small plane, which is really like driving a car that just happens to go up and down as well. It's very, very easy to fly a small plane. These days, it's like a 747 cockpit. There are bells and buttons and dials and levers all over the place. So you, you can hurt yourself if you do it wrong. And what has changed more than anything, ultimately, we're still marketing. We are still trying to show the right ad to the right person at the right time and doing so profitably. So understanding the person behind the ad, not just treating this as a spreadsheet full of numbers that need to be tweaked and optimized, but this is real people. They've got problems to solve. How can we help them solve their problem? The huge change over the last 10 years is the machines. So the machines are doing more and more of the work. It's the same, actually, if you think about just looking at the page of Google results. So you go to Google, you search for something, you go back 10 years, that page of result was built by a whole series of rules within the Google system. And all those rules had been handcrafted by the engineers at Google, if this, then that. 
So mm -hmm. if somebody is searching for a particular word, one of those things might, I'm trying to think of a, a, a sports team. I'll go Sydney Swans, my Aussie rules football team. If someone is searching for the word swans, if they're in Sydney, then maybe there's a fair chance they're looking for information about the Aussie rules football team. But if they're in London, maybe they're just looking for information about the bird. And so the results would differ based on all of these different rules. And Google were up to 4 million or so of these rules, 2011, when the smartest guy you've never heard of came along, this guy, Andrew Ng, who now heads up Coursera, which I believe is about to float, good for him. And he introduced machine learning to Google and said, this is ridiculous. We can't keep going this way. We can't keep building all of these rules. People are searching new things every day. People are starting to use these mobile devices. Then they're going to start using voice to search. It's impossible to build rules for stuff that we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. How do we build rules? So they started leaning into machine learning more and more. They built, sorry, they, they bought a London business, DeepMind, uh, which very famously beat the best in the world at Go. And now these days it's onto bigger and better things. Go Google Moo Zero if you want to blow your mind with what the machines are capable of doing these days. But the machines are now running a lot of this. So taking in all of those different signals about where somebody is, what the weather is, where they are, what device they're on, what other apps they've got, what other searches they've done, what other websites they've been to, and all of that information. And that is going through a process of change at the moment. But the machines are able to look at all of that to help serve the best ad for that person in that moment based on who is likely to, to click and also if they do click, who's likely to then go through and convert, you know, become a lead for that business or buy a product from that retailer. So that's yeah. the, the, the big, big, big change that we've seen. And, and for us as practitioners, it's about balancing the human with the machine. It's not us versus the machine like Hollywood would have us believe. It's how do we work smartly together with the machine to augment our abilities and be able to do stuff that we just weren't able to do before. Yeah, I think I do recall, you know, years and years ago, making Google searches and basically just searching for the specific keyword. Mm. It would just be, I, I don't know, like buy shoes online or something like mm. that, for example. Um, because you kind of knew that if you tried to be quite specific, if you tried to write it as a sentence in a you know, like written, yes. kind of written English, it, it wouldn't it wouldn't understand it. It would get confused because you put too many words in there and it doesn't know what to do with all the words. It can't yes. work out which one is the actual keyword. But now I can type in three letters and it will, go, it will, it will give me a whole suggested search term, which, which is accurate and it's what I want because it, yeah, it's, it's learnt not only like how we, how we write, how we search, but also what I have been searching for. And therefore... Yes what it's likely that I'll be looking for. But it's just amazing how quickly it will do that now. Just uh, 70 million combinations of signals being analyzed in that 0.1 of a second between you typing and hitting enter to, to try and figure out which products, which links, which ads to put in front of you. And this is why they have, depending on which report you read, 92, 95% market share is because we all went, oh my goodness, this thing is amazing. It's kind of hard to remember a time when 
yes, like you say, we used to have to think about, oh, how am I going to search for this thing so that I see the right set of results? Yeah. But we all gravitated to Google because it did that really frictionless way, whereas Yahoo or Bing or bless them census here in Australia, like Yellow Pages, who really should have owned business search, they didn't because Google just was like the mind reader that just yeah. understood what we were looking for and gave us the perfect result. Well, we had um, we had Ask Jeeves. Yes. Ask yep. Jeeves. Remember that? Which, Ask Jeeves and Excite and Lycos and all of which those. Which I, I feel like Ask Jeeves was trying to do what Google was trying to get to. And yeah. I think it was supposed to be more around you ask it a question. They wanted you to ask a question and it and would give you... that's happening now. Which I'm happens now, yeah, but I mean, this was... But back then, that was 20 years ago, Ask Jeeves. Yeah, I want to say, I was going to say 15, but yeah, you know, so long ago that at the time it seemed like a great idea, but it just didn't work. It couldn't, it couldn't really give you the results, couldn't really give you the answers. And so people stuck with Google. But um, I'd be interested to see the... Uh, the actual market share now, just to see how it's this off, has changed. It's off the charts. I mean, even a few years ago in the States, Google was sort of more 65, 66, and Bing yeah. was close to a third. And these days, the States has sort of changed to where most other countries are with Google 90% plus, and Bing is now, I'm not entirely sure, 3 4 5%, that sort of order of magnitude. Yeah. So Google basically own it. So, yeah, there's a lot happening at the moment. Uh in tech, Google and Apple and Facebook are all having a little spat and there's all sorts of stuff happening. Professor Scott Galloway is one of probably the, the most informed, best voices around this of breaking up these huge businesses that do have massive monopoly power and something, yes, probably does need to be done. But what we've just been through here in Australia with Google threatening to leave and yeah. Facebook turning off news for a few days, that probably isn't the way to, to solve it by having this huge showdown in government with people that probably don't quite know what they're talking about, if we're honest, but something does need to be done. But the way they handled it here was, was not the best way. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's, there's stuff in the EU as well. Um, there was one about copyright, I cut some sort of copyright law, which was basically going to make memes illegal because <laughs> any, any, any image was, was, going to be considered copyright and therefore you'd wow. have to ask permission or give credit and so they were saying just the the act of you know you wouldn't be able to share a meme on on facebook potentially not on whatsapp you know you might be in breach of copyright and then which is obviously just just ridiculous um and then there are some things around was it parodies if you're if you're if you edit an image to parody or something you can it it doesn't qualify for copyright i don't know anyway I'm, back to i'm reminded of this of this old spearhead lyric i love spearhead michael franti um and it's something about sort of like all these people doing these horrendous things and they're coming after us for sampling a james brown horn it's you know the same thing in music right sampling was illegal um and you can't take that piece of music without asking permission but that was just what musicians did mm. and because everybody did it it kind of eventually became okay but the music industry tried to stop that i mean i'm old enough to remember napster and how the music industry went ballistic over that of like you you can't do that we're going to come after you and tried to make some examples of a few people but yes sorry that's yeah. a tangent um yeah <laughs> back to ppc <laughs> um do you want to tell us about your the profit curve what's, yeah. what's, what's the profit curve 
the profit curve. So the profit curve is a tool that I created to help businesses think about the objective. Because if you, machines are getting very, very good at providing the answers. So our job as humans in the mix here is to ask the right questions. And part of that is pointing the machine in the right direction. So the first question we need to answer here is, what is our goal? Now, why are we doing Google Ads? What's our business objective? What's our marketing objective that sits underneath that? Why do we even have a website? What is it that we want people to do when they get here? The role of Google Ads, obviously, is to acquire customers. You're buying customers, which some people maybe still have a problem with, but that's marketing. Uh, mm -hmm. It's always happened that way. You are basically buying customers. How much can you spend to acquire a customer? And Dan Kennedy, famous direct marketer, uh, one of the best in the, in the world for decades, said that the winner is not the business that manages to spend the least to acquire a customer. The winner is the business that can afford to spend the most. Because if you can afford to spend 100 bucks to acquire customers, but I can only afford 50, I can't compete with you. You're going to beat me out of the market all day, every day. The problem is many businesses come to us and say, right now we've got Google ads running and they're, they're, it, we think it's working and we're getting leads for 80 bucks, but we'd really like that to be lower, please. We'd, we'd really like that to be 50 and see, get them to 50. And then they'd say, oh, that was easy. Get us to 30 and then get us to 10. Well, Google ads is essentially an auction. There's a bit more to it than that, but it's an auction, right? You're in the middle of buying a house, I believe. So you, you can't go to an auction for a million dollar house and expect to buy it for a hundred grand. There is a market out there that says this thing is valued at, at that. It's kind of the same in the Google world. All of those keywords and the things you're going to bid on, the, the way you're going to get an ad in front of a customer, you are bidding an amount. And if you win the auction or you come near the top in the auction, your ad is going to show to people. If I'm say, sitting there hanging on to my cash and say, I'm only willing to spend 10 bucks to acquire new, new leads to my business, but you're able to spend 100, why would Google even look at me? Why would it give me any traffic? There's all these other people out there at 100, 90, 80, 85, 70 bucks, 110, all of these other people bidding these bigger amounts. If I'm only willing to bid 10, I'm just not going to get any traffic. Maybe occasionally, maybe one will slip through the cracks. So the profit curve is a way of visualizing that and being able to, with real data that comes out of the Google system, plot how much profit you're going to make at various budgets. So if you think about just, this is, this is hard to do without a whiteboard, but we'll, we'll try. So yeah. if you picture X and Y, so the X axis is how much you're spending and the Y axis is how much profit you're making. So obviously if you're spending zero, you're getting zero. So we know that the curve starts in the bottom left-hand corner. There's going to come a point though, where we hit break even. Let's just keep the number simple and call that a hundred bucks. We're going to go from making a little bit of profit. So the curve must be above the line at this point, crossing through break even to losing a little bit of money if we were to spend 101. So $100 is our break even. If we spend more than 100 bucks to acquire someone, we're going to lose money. So actually, sorry, I did say it was spend, but let's, let's make that x-axis be your cost of acquisition for now. Yeah. 
So I'm going from zero up to 100. So we know that the curve crosses back through our x-axis there. So then there must be a curve that goes up and then comes back down through that x-axis. The maximum on that curve is the maximum profit. We want to understand what should my cost per lead be? Should it be 30 bucks? Should it be 50? Should it be 80? Where's the point where I make the most profit? Because it shouldn't be focused on how much does this lead cost? Because profit is a function of two things. It's a function of how much you make from each lead and how many leads you can get. If I were to magically get the occasional lead at 10 bucks, yes, I make lots of profit on that lead, but I might get three leads a year and that's not going to change my business. If I offer the machine 500 bucks, I'm going to get more leads than I can handle, but I'm losing money every single time I run an ad. That's not going to work either. So it's a bit of Goldilocks. We're trying to find you know, the bit that's just right somewhere in the middle. And now we can actually use real data to do this. So Google have this wonderful tool that hardly anybody uses, I, I believe. I've spoken to the product manager inside Google for this tool, and they have no plans to make this data available through the API, which I think is insane. So we built a, a tool that basically grabs the data from Google, sticks it in a spreadsheet, and lets you plot this out. And the tool is called the Performance Planner. Uh, the tool isn't ready, sorry, yet for prime time because I'm still trying to get through the Google approval process, which you can imagine like taking some of their data and building a spreadsheet using their tool yeah. is kind of problematic. Uh, but we use it internally. Um, and members of my agency savvy group have got early access to this um, Chrome extension, basically, that sends lots of scary warnings when you try and install it. But it helps you take this data out of Google and plot that curve so you can say, oh, wow, okay, $75 is where we get our total profit. Hitting the tippy top of that curve, actually, is quite difficult in reality. So let's make life easy for ourselves. Let's, let's bring our profit target down a little bit. Now we've got a range. So now it's like anywhere between $70 and $90. As long as we're in that range, we know we're going to be really profitable. So that's the profit curve, but let's just continue that for a minute just for bonus points here. So we've now discovered this range and let's say for example, it's 70 to $90. It's hard to get your head around. So again, picture, picture at the top of a hill and you've chopped the top of that hill off. The left-hand side is $70, the right-hand side is $90, but it's exactly the same profit, right? We've chopped the top of our hill. Remember that y-axis was profit you're making exactly the same profit whether you buy leads at 70 or you buy leads at 90. So that's the first confusing bit for your head to get around. Well, if that's the case, it must be that we're doing way more volume at 90. If my break-even's 100, I'm only making 10 bucks a lead there. If I'm getting leads for 70, I'm making $30 per lead. It's three times as much. How can my total profit be the same? Well, we must be doing three times the volume if we're getting leads for 90, but it's the same profit. So again, if I offer the machine 70, but you're smart and you offer the machine 90, who's the machine going to give the traffic to? Yeah, It's going to give me some of the traffic, but it loves you. It wants to give you all of that traffic. You're doing three times the volume that I'm doing, which means your split testing is working three times faster. Your email testing is three times faster. Your conversion rate optimization for your website is three times faster. And those all multiply. So you are getting much, much better, much, much faster than I can hope to do. But we're making the same profit on those initial leads. But your business now is primed to take off. 
So I created the tool so that people wouldn't keep asking, oh, we're getting leads for 70, but I'd really like them a bit cheaper. Because now I've got a tool to be able to say, why? Why do you want that cheaper? You're actually sliding down the left-hand side of the hill now. You're actually saying you want less profit. I get that you'd love cheaper leads. We all would. We'd love to get leads for a dollar. That'd be fantastic. But by doing that, you're going to make less profit. And that is ultimately what we're playing this game for. It's profit to help build your business and serve more people. Don't you want to make more profit? Oh, well, yeah, I suppose when you put it like that. So hopefully, dear listener, you're able to follow that. It is kind of a little complicated, I know, without seeing that visually. But hopefully you're able to follow that and picture that curve in your head. Well, I think if, you, if you've got a graph or something, you can send over. I'll get it in the show notes. I absolutely um, do. Yes. Which I think will be great. But um, yeah, I mean, it makes it makes complete sense. And like you say, it's only on that initial lead as well. So if you're a business that's also focusing on conversion rate optimization, email marketing, customer retention, and that long term. sales. Absolutely. Not only are you getting three times as many customers initially and making that same profit, but you've got three times more customers to actually then sell more stuff to. Three times as many referrals. Three yeah. Three times as much times the lifetime value. Absolutely. Yeah. And this came about because we had a client who was in the uh, retail space. They were actually selling vitamins. And they came in, I think their return on ad spend, so ROAS is, is the, the flip side of this. So on, if you're a lead gen website, you're pretty focused on cost per acquisition or CPA. Retailers are focused on ROAS. It's not the best metric in the world, but it's the one that Google give us to play with. And so it's what most of us use. And their return on ad spend was about three or four to one, which was losing the money. And they said, we need a ROAS of seven. My team are amazing. They got them a, a ROAS of about eight, I think it was, in a few weeks. And then this client turned around and said, oh, well, that was easy. In that case, we'll have 13, please. And it was like, ah, oh. you are limiting yourself so much. You're basically saying, okay, there's an archery target down there somewhere. To start with, you just need to hit the archery target. Oh, actually, you're quite good at that. Well, you have to hit this tiny little bit on the inside of the bullseye. Otherwise, you lose the game. That's essentially what you're saying. By setting the wrong target for the machine to be able to hit, you're limiting yourself so much that the total profit then is so, so much smaller. And it's just so much harder to win the game. So they just they, they couldn't get their head around that. They couldn't see that. So sadly, we're not working with them anymore. And we're working with people that do understand that that's how you play the game and that we're focused on their profit, not on that initial cost to get someone in the door. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my um, part of the reason I, I do what I do with kind of conversion rate optimization, lifetime value is because I've been in those situations where um, I've been the, the marketing guy within the business, been handed that budget and the bosses have said, you need to acquire customers at this cost. Yeah. That's, that's the target not really taking into account lifetime value, anything like that, just an arbitrary, yeah. we want it to be $10, $10, 10 pounds, whatever. Um, that's your target. So yes, you start, uh, you start kind of optimizing to that. But in this situation, optimizing means shutting off channels that are requiring customers, but they're yes. requiring the customers at 12 pounds, 15 pounds. Yes. yes. Even though, you know, some of these businesses were, had, they were kind of naturally long-term uh, purchases for customers, you know, decent lifetime values over 12, 18, 36 mm. months, something like that. So, you know, um, I think there's a, a startup metric out there where they say your 
your cost of acquisition uh, should be one third of your lifetime value, yep. roughly. That's what yep. you kind of should aim for. But in all these situations, they just say, no, forget about that. Doesn't And, and, and no one can tell like, you where that where that goal came from. So that yeah, come up somebody has come up with this number of 10. But if, when you start probing and go, well, why 10? It's just, you know, someone plucked a number out it, of thin air. It wouldn't surprise me if what's happened in a lot of these situations is someone goes into AdWords or does, some, does a bit of research or asks a friend who has access and just says, what do you think yep. we could acquire customers for? And that person says, you know, based on this cost per click and these kind of average convert click rates and, and all that, around £10 or or there are just some sort of weird um, formulas out there. Or on metric to make the business work because they think that if we get them for less than 10, we won't be able to, but that's based on a whole bunch of faulty assumptions that have never been tested. There's no, maybe there's no volume there, but like you say, you're, you're cutting off your nose to spite your face. You're cutting off these other channels that were maybe a little bit out, but actually would have brought really, really good people into the business given a chance. Well, also, I think I think one of the other issues is you can go down that really cheap route, but you get really cheap, bad traffic. Yeah. So yeah. maybe not so much on PPC, um, kind of paid search. It, it probably is more relevant to uh, display media or... display um, and, and channels like that. You know, I had, uh, in fact, one of, one of the first businesses I worked for, um, actually, this is an example of where it worked really well. Uh, we ran kind of in the earlier days of uh, App Store ads, mm. we ran an incentivized uh, ad campaign. So I, I can't remember what it was at the time. I mean, this was 10 years ago now. It was something like, you know, the sort of, um, oh, oh no, download, yeah, download this app in order to get a free coins in your game or something like that. Mm. But, and so we, we got users, some, some ridiculously cheap, price i think it was less than a dollar per mm. per install and then when you accounted for i think when you finally went to the repeat open rate or whatever that metric was um it mm. was still only about three four dollars um and, and we got kind of lucky because this was an app that was free to use and it saved people money right so obviously there's no real reason for people not to to at least check it out every now and again so that worked really well but with another business, um, we went down the you know we went down the route of who's the audience. Uh, so this was magazines basically, um, like Spotify for magazines. So unlimited, or you can read uh, for the subscription. We found this audience, started acquiring them really really cheaply, um, something like a dollar fifty per uh, trial customer who signed up. And then what we found was these people were reading the one magazine that they came for and then leaving. And then right. that was it. And then when we did just, to be honest, a little bit of research, <laughs> a little bit more research, what we realized was the, the magazines they were reading were costing something like a pound. I think they're a pound a week. Right. And they only read that magazine. So they were spending four pounds a month and we were asking for 9.99. So yeah. these people were never going to convert. Yeah. Because we were, we were trying to charge double for exactly the same uh, product they can get. And actually, which they also, it was kind of gossip magazines. So right. I imagine maybe they're also reading them in certain situations where 
you mm. might not want it on a tablet. You right. might actually yeah, want yeah. the magazine. I, I don't know, but yeah. So, you know, that those examples of really aggressively targeting super cheap, the cheap CPAs, the in, in one instance CPIs, but I'm not going to go into that. It's one of the reasons that I don't like max clicks inside the Google system because that is a targeting. I think it's pretty much gone away now. What's that, sorry? Maximize clicks. So there are all these different bidding models inside the Google Ads system. Oh, yeah. Maximize okay. clicks says to the machine, just get the most clicks you can. This is my budget. Get me the most clicks that you can. But the reason that's a problem is exactly what you're saying. The goal here is not more traffic. The goal is not just get me as many clicks as you can and send them all to my website, please, dear machine. The goal is quality traffic, mm. qualified traffic, people that are going to go on and do business with you. So, and it all comes back to me for setting the right target for the machine because the machine is going to do a lot of the work these days. There's no way around that. The machine learning genie is out of the bottle. Google are not going to uh, go back to doing things the old way. And the thing that the machines are really, really good at is bidding. So that the way I've been teaching Google ads for a long, long time now is you picture a pyramid across the, but there are three layers to the pyramid. The bottom layer is bidding. That's the foundational layer in the middle. You've got targeting. And then at the top, you've got messaging and bidding is basically just a massive maths problem. And machines are really, really good at that. And they have perfect data. Don't forget, you know, yeah. on their side, they know every auction, every keyword, every bid, who clicked on what They have perfect data on that side. And for the time being, at least, and this may change this year, they have very, very good data about us and who we are and what we've searched for and where we've been and which washing machine did we hover over on the Melee website versus the cheap one on the other website. They know all of that. They've been tracking all of that, which has a few politicians up in arms about that. But from an advertiser's point of view, as long as we're using that information in the right way and we're respecting people's privacy, that's been really, really useful to show the right ad to the right person at the right time and the machines are getting really, really good at understanding who's very likely to click on your ad and who's likely to convert when they do. Whereas maximize clicks is just go get me loads of traffic, please. It's, 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 it's the it's wrong trash, thing. isn't it? And uh, I think yeah. you could do that on Facebook as well, can you? You might still be able to. I'm not sure, but they used to have um, uh, clicks. Oh, impressions. I think is one you could well, uh, you could bid bid for maximize impressions. And that was marketing. Last decade, um, you know, I, yeah. I remember clearly those those clients that would say, oh, but this other agency just put this report in front of us. Is this good? And it would say something like, literally, I remember one that was, we didn't just get you the 20 million impressions you paid for this month. We got you 23 million. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> I don't care how many people, quote unquote, saw that thing. And obviously, the definition of saw is, is yeah, up for debate these days. I think Facebook's definition... Google told us this the other day. We're on training call with them and they, they had a little dig at Facebook. It was something like one pixel on the screen for one millisecond was Facebook's definition of a, a video. I'm not saying that was a video view, but like a video in viewable range as opposed to Google's viewable impression, which is something like I think 50% of the pixels for one or two seconds. So it's quite, yeah. quite different. Quite different. I imagine it's, yeah, I mean, that's, that's a very, very small load. I'd be surprised if there are that that many impressions which do fall into that very very minuscule impression, mm. but yes. um, it wouldn't surprise me yeah, if, if it basically if it loads in your feed, that's pretty much the impression. So even if you don't really 
you know, because you can, especially on mobile, you can scroll a bit, stuff yeah. will load below, but then you might actually not scroll any further. Yes, yes. Wouldn't surprise and, me. If, and it all comes back to, we don't just want people to see that, right? We want people to do something as a result of seeing that. So you, maybe you're running YouTube ads. What's the measurement of success? So I'll bring it all the way back to where we started of defining the outcome. What is the measure of success? How do we know when we're winning? And the flip side of that, obviously, how do we therefore know when we're losing so that we know what we're optimizing for? But how has that goal been created? Who came up with it? What assumptions have they made in coming up with that? Have they ever been questioned on that? Why is the goal 30 bucks a lead? Has anybody ever looked into that? Because maybe at 50 bucks a lead, we can get three times the volume, make three times the profit or not. Maybe not. Maybe at 30 bucks, they're still losing money and it really does need to be $15 to be profitable. But let's go explore around that, test different things, use the data while we've still got it and find out how this thing can be more profitable. Yeah, absolutely. So I suppose apart from the trying to get the lowest possible CPA, are there any big mistakes brands make on, on the kind of the PPC side? Yeah, um, I guess it's probably less rare these days, but treating it as set and forget would be one. It is anything but set and forget. We are buying data. And the reason that we're buying that data is then so that we can start to optimize that. We can start to analyze that data have insights about that, take action based on those insights, and for bonus points, start to predict what's going to happen when we take that action. That's the chain of how we optimize. Um, I think one of the other mistakes I still see, surprisingly, is people have this idea of a fixed budget. You know, It's the, the hangover from the old TV radio days. You've got a pie chart, and this slice goes to TV, and this slice goes to radio, and this slice goes to PPC. And my argument has always been, if you're tipping in a dollar and I'm giving you 10 back, why do you want to stop? Why do you want to get, unless there's a constraint in the business and that might be you know, my favorite phone calls of all time of, you know, mate, I don't know what you're doing, but can you slow it down? Cause the boys on the factory floor can't keep up. Yeah. That's a, that's a real constraint. And yes, there is no point getting new leads in if you can't service them. But most businesses sadly don't suffer from that problem. It's the leads that's the constraint, everything else. Uh, works fine yeah but, yes. I, I did um I, I used to work one of my last businesses that I worked for before I uh, I went uh, kind of independent um I'm, I'm pretty sure they rarely managed to spend their full budget right and it wasn't um so it, it wasn't a case of if we're making the money and we're we're hitting the targets here's some more money to spend I think it got to a point where the business said we're pretty confident you can't spend this money, but just in case, right. here it is. Right. If, a you bit of a find, safe. if you find the opportunity, go mm. for it. That was generally there. And they were given license to, to spend money. You know, we worked off um, uh, basically a CPA to projected uh, lifetime value model. So lifetime mm. value would be what well, projected value would be calculated within a few, for the first few days of a customer's uh, time with the, the business mm. that gives the the ratio and uh and i think they generally aimed for that kind of 30 percent mark but then yeah. there'd be times when you know something would happen in the industry it was quite a regulated industry something would happen in the industry and you'd get a coo popping over going let's let's smash it you know i don't care if you hit 50 60 percent um we're, we're going to take the market share 
you know, we're going to be aggressive. We're going to stop anyone else uh, bidding, or not bidding, but you know, yeah. getting these clicks. And they and they would really go for it. Um, but they understood yeah, well, this, this, that in the long term it would pay off. Well, yeah, there's a lot of different things to optimize for. You know, many smaller businesses need some sort of profit, and they need that profit to come in sooner rather than later. It's great to have a lifetime value of ten grand, but if that's going to take ten years, maybe we need to focus on ninety day payback or something of that order. So we know we're getting our money back because cash may well be the constraint in that business. And I need this marketing to pay for itself so I can reinvest and reinvest and reinvest. But just questioning the assumptions of what else, any, just any other big mistakes that you'd, you'd suggest avoiding? I think not going in with the right mindset is a, a mistake we see often. So you need a mindset of experimentation. You're going to try a lot of different things and you're going to be wrong often. We try a lot of stuff and it's wrong. It's the wrong creative. We try some new form of targeting. We set a new target and it's not as profitable as we thought it might be or there just isn't the volume that we thought there. Um, more often than not, it's, it's trying different creative ideas and they don't work. You also need this mindset of it needs to be realistic with your expectations. Again, you know, you're going to the million dollar house auction. If you insist that you need to buy this thing for a hundred grand, that just isn't gonna work. If, if all of your competitors or enough of your competitors are willing to pay significantly more to acquire that lead or to sell that product, then it's very, very hard to compete. I mean, if you're, if you're a retailer and your margins are 5%, but your competitors' margins are 20%, you're going to find it very, very hard to compete with them. So you either need to work on that and try and understand how their margins are bigger. What else can you do? Maybe you've got the wrong supplier. Maybe, uh, to your point, lifetime value, repeat sales. Maybe they're doing a much, much better job there. They're doing better upsells. They're adding after-service care, whatever it might be. Or they're doing a much, much better job of, um, they've got a system for getting referrals from those customers, which reduces their effective cost of acquisition. There's a whole bunch of ways to play the game. I think um, maybe that's the biggest mistake, people being quite rigid with their view of what this tool is. But it, it, it is just a tool. I, I say this all the time. Google Ads is just a tool. It's like fire is a tool. You know, use fire the right way, it'll toast your marshmallows. Use it the wrong way, it'll burn down your tent. It's just a tool. It, you will get out of it what you put in. It's how you use the tool that matters. Yeah, that's good. I like that. Do you think there are any big trends coming up in PPC over the next, well, I don't know, could be a year, could be three <laughs> over years. Over the next week. <laughs> yeah, I think things um, change so quickly now. So, yeah. Or, yeah. or, um, or in how consumer behavior changes regarding kind of search. Well, I'd, yeah, there's definitely changes coming at the platform level um, in terms of Google more and more forced automation. So you know, Google believe fundamentally that, that this whole game is basically too complicated for us little humans to do, and we should just get out of the way and let the machines have a crack. That's been happening for many years now, but it really is, we're hitting that, you know, the, the, the knee of the exponential curve. It really is ramping up, and we're seeing this more and more now where Google are just saying, look, you basically need to use this part of the system. And they're not giving us a choice anymore. Up until this point, it's been like, we really want you to use this new tool in the system. And we're going to slightly discourage you from doing that. We're going to hide the link or these days, 
those other options are starting to disappear and Google are forcing us to do that. The other huge change that's coming this year is the little spat going on, more than little, between Apple and Facebook and Google right now. Apple, genius move by Tim Cook a few years ago saying we are the privacy company and Google and Facebook having to rush around. Uh, uh, yes, uh, privacy is really important to us too. Um, we just need to do it in such a way that we still make wads and wads of cash, please. So they're desperately trying to figure out ways to still be able to target ads effectively and for us as advertisers to be able to measure those results. Those are the really the key two parts to this data privacy debate at the moment that Apple are winning, you'd have to say. You know, Google have had to say, yes, we're going to get rid of third-party cookies. Yes, we're going to do more for user privacy. And they're coming up with all these crazily named things like Fledge and Flock and Turtle Dove, all of these different ways in their privacy sandbox to, to try and desperately hang on to some of the stuff that's going to help them while seeming to play the privacy game. It's going to be a very interesting year because there's a lot of unknowns at this point. We're recording this in March. Uh, iOS and Facebook, everybody's kind of waiting for you know, this new sort of pop-up that's going to appear in apps, which is yeah. basically going to cause most people on iOS devices to opt out of any kind of tracking. It's an interesting one. I do think people like to see, uh, they don't like to see ads. If they are going to see ads, they want ads that are relevant to them. Yes. So actually, it, it, yep. this might take a little while because I generally think that the majority of people are uneducated around um the targeting and, and, and how it all works. They just see it as a bad thing. Facebook's abusing their privacy. Yeah. Um, but when they start to just see irrelevant ad after ad after ad in their apps, I think they will consider switching that back on. I don't but know it, that they'll know how. I think that's just... yeah, that that's the other thing. I think it will need some sort of there'll have to then be some sort of big movement or something to convince everyone that actually opting into these things are, are good for them. But and look, Apple, Apple aren't just doing this out of the goodness of their heart either, right? I mean, obviously this is going to benefit them. It is a genius strategic move, but they have their own ad system within the App Store. This forces more people into the App Store because one of the things that's going to happen is, and I, I'm not a mobile app expert. Um, I have no business really talking about this but my understanding of where this stuff is going, i'm more on the on the ad side search and shopping and display and youtube that's my game but on the app side a lot of those freemium apps may not be able to last if they don't have the data that they've been able to use to figure out i guess who was going to go on to become a paid user if they have to become paid apps from the get-go many of them won't survive is my understanding that's sort of seems to be part of the argument at the moment you're right i do think that a lot of people just don't really understand that okay maybe this doesn't help them you know i'm not saying like that super well targeted ads are the best thing ever but they are a lot better than irrelevant untargeted ads to your yeah. point if i never see an ad for a, an hp laptop ever again i'll be a very happy boy <laughs> yeah well i suppose one of the part is uh just selling phones you know, I think uh, I, I might be wrong in this, but I think mm. phone iPhone sales have slowed the last few years. And, and part of that is because they, they launch a new phone every year and not everyone's going to buy a new phone every year. But 
one method of, of fixing that is by basically saying their biggest competitor is someone you don't want to be associated with. You know, they, they're going to track everything you do on your phone. Uh, so the best option is don't buy a Samsung or a, or a Google phone, buy an iPhone because that's where your data will be, uh, will be protected. Yeah, Professor Scott Galloway talks about this a lot. He's uh, someone I follow in, in this space and he makes a, an awful lot of sense about it. And he's been talking about this before most people even realised that this thing was coming. Um, and yes, you know, an iPhone basically says, I value my privacy and an Android phone says, yeah, I don't really care. But the first point you made, like something like, and I forget the stat off the top of my head, it, but it's a big number, 70, 80% of people say that they want businesses to use the data they have on them to enhance their user experience. But then the same 70 or 80 people say, yeah, I don't want to be tracked and I value my privacy. So what consumers say they want is completely at odds with what's possible. Yeah, I, I don't think it would be as as high as that when you when you genuinely, you know, if you um, if you didn't ask the question but track someone's response to that question, if you right. get what I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah uh, that's it, a good point. I, I don't think it would be that high. However, I think when you ask that question, people are thinking about uh, what that company is doing. Mm. Uh, mm. So, uh, first party data, in in that kind of sense. So, if they're going to send me an email which says uh, you you bought, I always use this example because it's easy. Uh, you bought a printer from us. Do you want to buy some printer ink? that makes perfect sense or to advertise me printer ink, you know, target me with, with ads for that. Uh, or when I'm on the website, make sure printer ink shows to me. I, mm. I think maybe people are thinking that sort of thing when they say, I want the companies to use my data. When we think about advertising, those people think I don't want Facebook to use my data. Uh, so I think yes. that's, that's kind of where um, I don't want the printer company to sell my data to the domain name mob who then send me 47 emails and 14 letters to say, Hey, you just bought a printer. Maybe you've just started the business. Do you need a domain name? We've got domain names. Yeah. You can buy them. Ah. <laughs> or yeah, you've bought a domain name. So you must want finance oh, and, and, and SEO and, and web d- development. I used to buy a lot of domain names. That was one of the things that really slowed me down. The the phone calls and the the crap um, you get after buying one. Really interesting one with GDPR. Mm. Uh, There was something to do with data data privacy around who owns a domain name um, and and being forced into purchasing data privacy, Mm. which under GDPR must be illegal. Um, and I think I think there are some issues with it. Um, I think the big one is who is is it who is dot net? Oh yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. Um, I think they came. I have a feeling I might be wrong because this was a couple of years ago now. I have a feeling they came to an agreement with the EU on GDPR and, and kind of basically said we we can't just do this. Like we're not set up to do this. We can't just suddenly hide all that data or something like that. So I think they got a little, little bit of an extension. Um, Interesting. But, but really, that, that data should be private because that would be like um, yeah. I, well, any e-commerce website just publishing a list of all their, com- uh, their customers' names, addresses, phone numbers, email addresses. Because, yeah, 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 like, yeah 
Yeah, no one would wear that. You're right. Yeah. Um, cool. Just before we uh, we finish up, do you, do you have any pet peeves when it comes to marketing? <laughs> oh, well, we've talked about a few, you know, like setting the wrong targets, this, this Maybe. magical expectation that, that, oh, I can just turn it on and, and it will be profitable on day one or that I don't even need to uh, change anything. Mm. Having turned it on, you know, people still think, oh, that's kind of set and forget, right, move on to the next thing. What, um, what about as a customer? Oh, as a customer. I guess other than the obvious, like when you try and unsubscribe for something and then they keep sending you the bloody emails, text message marketing, that I hate because often you will reply yeah. stop and that just makes them send more or makes them send sell your details to other people, it seems like, because then you start getting more messages from other random people and there seems to be no way to turn that off. Phone calls that from you know, we've got do not call list here in Australia, but they've obviously yeah. people have found loopholes to that and a, a team in India will call you um, always as you're sitting down to dinner. Um, so, I don't, yes, I suppose there's this, it's, it's, it's actually a really good question because it's making <laughs> me sort of sit on the other side of, of what we do for our clients all day long, um, which is probably good to be reminded of every now and again. Yeah, I do. I do wonder how many marketers would would list a pet peeve of theirs, uh, and then realise that they do it as a marketer. Um, yeah, well, we'll never do SMS marketing as a business. I can promise you that because I find that really, really annoying. <laughs> I uh, actually had a. Com- I was having a conversation with someone the other day about this. Uh, I don't mind it as long as it's used correctly. Um, which it's it. generally not. If you, if you need to. It's generally <laughs> um, not because you don't know yeah. where they got your details from. Or, yeah. Um, it's generally not very good. It's generally promotions, very, very salesy, which I, I mm. get why people do it because you've only got 160 characters or something. Mm. You, have, you haven't got time to write a blog, you know, a blog post uh, in, a, in an SMS. Well, that, so that's the problem. It doesn't add value. It's just in your face, but it could, right? They could link out to something else. They, they could add or value so maybe that's my pet peeve is people that just want to well, take before they give it comes down to uh to cost and return sms is more expensive so if you're going to be sending us you know if you're going to send a hundred thousand sms messages that's you need to see a return spam on. though isn't it <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> um cool i mean this has been really great stuff really interesting about um about ppc and the profit curve i really like that um it's something that i i, I do a really agree with never really touched on it because i just try and stay away from ppc and stuff it's not not my space but um yeah that was really great um if people want to find out more contact you what's the best way of doing that um a couple of options if you want to learn more about google ads then i'm i've basically put my latest course online for free so it's my google ads fundamentals gaf course so go to gafcourse.com um, and that's any modality that you want. We've got text, you can download the PDF, you've got the podcast or the videos, however you like to consume your content and learn. If you want to learn more about how to do Google Ads, there's about three hours worth of training there. If you're already doing it and you would like a second pair of eyes over the account or you would like someone else to do it for you, then let's have a chat. And that's websavvy.com.au because we're down here in Melbourne, Australia. Awesome. Thanks, Mike. Thank you. Cheers, Will. If you haven't thought about this already, the profit curve is definitely something you need to explore. Too many businesses focus on the CPA side of things and think we've got to get a CPA under £20 or $20. That's the KPI. 
but of course it isn't. The KPI is the revenue or profit that you get from that customer. You have the potential to unlock so much more traffic by bidding higher and acquire customers that are just as profitable as before, but you've just got more of them. This means more customers in database, which is more customers to market to on an ongoing basis and to focus your lifetime value efforts on. If you'd like to learn more about PPC and the profit curve, please do reach out to Mike. Any other podcast questions, feedback, guest requests, please send them over to will at customerswhoclick.com or tweet me at Will Lawrenson. Next up, I've got Robert Rand joining me and we're going to be talking about the importance of site speed. But until then, keep those customers clicking.